In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. You're so welcome. Lord, we just give you the service. I pray that not my word, but your word proceeds out of my mouth. Lord, that you set our hearts on fire in a new way for you. Take us to deeper places of intimacy in you. Extend your grace and help us to use the grace that you've given us to become all that you saw and created us to be. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, be seated if you can. When I came, I didn't know it was marriage week, but I kind of feel like I'm a little in the spirit with what God laid on my heart to share with you. Not the easiest message, but I believe that it's a necessary message for the church at this time. A lot of critical things happening, shaking and moving in our world, and, and if we relax at this point, uh, we will slip in degrees, amen? And so I believe that God is calling us to just refocus on who we are, why we are, and what he requires of us in this hour and how to be grounded in the things that he's called us to. You know, I believe that whether you're single or not in the body of Christ, the church is not just the church. The church is the bride of Christ. So actually, there are no single members of the church. So tap a single person next to you and say, see, I told you, you're engaged. You're engaged already. You're not alone. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. We are not alone. We are engaged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It doesn't get any better than that. He's rich, looking for the rich man. He's romantic. He writes long love letters. Got your Bible? Amen. He's a provider. He's a counselor. He's never too tired to talk to you at night. He's the perfect mate. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want to share a little love story. Actually, Pastor Agu had asked me to speak on something. I said, Pastor Agu, I already did that message. You want to think I only know one thing. <laughs> but I have another love story for you. This one is a little interesting. And you know what? It's interesting. It's, it's from the book of Hosea. And Hosea is probably one of the most overlooked books of the Bible. I think we just kind of skim over it because we just don't get it. It's like, okay, that little book that's tucked away, we don't get it. So we just kind of move on. But it's a really important little and powerful book because it reveals the depth of God's passion for his bride, which is us. Notice I said bride as opposed to children or even the church because the bride speaks of a deeper sense of intimacy than any of those other roles. And God does look at us as the bride of Christ. So there's an intimacy level that he wants to maintain with us. And sometimes in the midst of life, we get a little distracted and we don't sense how precious that is to God. So this book reveals his passion towards us, but also his disappointment at the waywardness of his bride. 
And so he calls on the prophet Hosea to illustrate this by having him marry a woman who is a prostitute. Now, the first time I read this, I said, well, you know what, if prophets today had to go through what prophets in the, back in the day went through, I don't know how many of them would sign up to be prophets. They had a very difficult life. But God used Hosea in particular to illustrate his relationship with the church. And so Hosea starts off in chapter 1 telling us that when the Lord first started speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. And this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea then marries Gomer and they have three children. And the children have very depressing names. Jezreel, which means God sows, so he was going to just plant a new crop in the nation of Israel. Also, the next name meant no mercy. He said, I'm not going to show them any mercy anymore. And then the last name meant nobody. He said, you are not my people, and I am not your God. And I thought, wow, this is really harsh from God. I mean, where's my kind, sweet compassionate, gracious God that I like to think about, that when I mess up, he just says, okay, it's okay. You know, there's this kind of modern day theology that God is just this sweet, tender God that just goes along with whatever we're doing, and he's so understanding, and so we're not going to judge, and you know, there's a difference between judging and judging, but that's another lesson, because we are called as a church to judge what's right and wrong. We're just not called to decree punishment, amen? But so... She has these three babies, and he names them these awful, depressing names. And then after that, she runs off in pursuit of other lovers and ends up living with some guy that's her lover. And then God just goes ballistic. I mean, I don't know another time when God has sounded like this. He sounds like a vindictive, jilted lover. Let me tell you some of the things he said about his bride. He says, I'm going to bring charges against you. Hmm. Anybody ever felt like that? She's no longer my wife, and I'm no longer her husband. And then he goes on to tell her, take off that makeup and take off those clothes that reveal your breasts. And I thought, that's really weird. How can clothes reveal your breasts? But he was really talking about her heart, okay? And you know that we're supposed to be dressed in garments of righteousness and holiness and praise. And so obviously these garments told a different story about the state of this woman's heart. He says, take those things off because if you don't, I'm going to strip them off. I'm going to make you naked as the day you were born. I'm going to leave you to die of thirst in a dry and barren wilderness. And I'm not going to love your children. Whoa. God is upset. I mean, when I read this, I could not get over what God was saying. And he went on to call her shameless, call her a hussy, talk about the way she got pregnant. And he said um, that she said to herself, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of linen and wool and for olive oil and drinks. And he said, because of this, I'm going to fence her in and thorn bushes. And I'm going to block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. And when she runs after her other lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them but not find them. And then she will think to herself, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him 
than I am now. You know, sometimes familiarity can breed contempt, even in our natural marriage. And the same thing happens in our spiritual marriage with God at times. We get comfortable and we get, begin to get distracted by temptations around us that pull us off course and we start to run after those things. And in God's eyes, those are your other lovers. She doesn't realize, God said, that it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil, I gave her even silver and gold. And when we look at the typologies of what that meant, the grain was the daily bread, her daily provision. Wine speaks of joy. I'm the one that gave her joy. The olive oil speaks of favor and blessing. And then I gave her silver and gold, which is honor. But she gave my gifts to Baal. Hmm. He says, but I'm going to take all that stuff back. And so because of her unfaithfulness and her pursuit of other lovers, four things in her life were affected. He would uncover her and cause, cause her disgrace. He would take away her joy. He would take away her daily provision. Amen? The fruit of her hands would also be destroyed. You think, well, gosh, that's really harsh. Why is he so adamant about this? But what I came to digest as I read this was that God had looked at this woman's disobedience. He was using Gomer and Hosea as an illustration of his relationship with us. And that when we get distracted and we go wayward and we begin to pursue other things before we pursue him, he sees all of that compromise and sin, not just as sin, which I've always said the definition of sin is what hurts you and what hurts others, but it also hurts God from a different viewpoint because he sees it as rejection. He sees it as you preferring something over him. And this is something we've all been guilty of. I mean, I could say that sometimes I prefer a pair of shoes over God. When he's convicting me and saying, you don't need to be spending that money right now. But it's a sale, Lord. Come on, you understand, right? And in that moment, the shoes become my preference versus the instruction that God gave me. Whatever it is, sometimes it's such a little thing. But we all have these areas of slippage in our life where we prefer other things over the word that God has spoken to us in that moment. Well, God seems so harsh. And, and, and you know, I, I thought about it. I said, why could he be so harsh? And it's because he does not understand holiness. He says, be holy as I am holy. Be whole as I am whole. There is nothing in God that is not holy. It's just as, um, let me put it this way to break it down and unpack that. The person who doesn't smoke looks at the smoker and says, ew, that is so disgusting. Why would you want to smoke a cigarette? And you're not tempted by it because it's not in you. The love of caffeine is not in your system. So you don't relate to what would drive that person to be addicted to that cigarette. You, you get where I'm coming from. So... Here's God who doesn't have any unholiness in him. And he looks and he sees us all like just stumbling and fumbling and, and making mistakes and slipping up and sometimes deliberately sinning because we can go from sin, which is missing the mark, to transgression, which is choosing to do that thing, to iniquity where our hearts are hardened and we no longer care. There is a progression when it comes to sin. But he looks at us in those various forms and says, I don't get it. And this is where Jesus comes in. He goes, you know what? I think I need to go down and see what's going on down there and come back and report. So he does. He volunteers. He comes first 
to die for us, to give payment for that, because he knows that God cannot accept us into his presence in our unkept state. And so he comes, but he also walks with us. And he's tempted, just like we were. And he overcomes because he activates the grace given to him by his father to overcome the temptation. And when he dies and rises and ascends back to heaven, it says he now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us actively 24-7. Why? Because he can relate. And every time that God says, I don't get it, let me just wipe him out. He says, no, chill, Dad. I've been down there. It's difficult. I went through that. I understand the mindset. They don't know how to employ the grace all the time, but they're coming. They're coming. I promised you. I've asked you in the prayer in the garden not to let me lose one that you've given me. You've given them to me. I'm standing in the gap for them now, and I'm asking you for your mercy and your grace to be extended to this one. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Because God is so hurt. When we sin, he takes it as rejection. He's, in his mind, it means that we prefer that thing over him. But God loves us so much that he can't stay angry. I love that. It says that his anger lasts for only a moment in Psalm 35, that his favor lasts for a lifetime. So already in the midst of his anger and his pain towards us, He's already anticipating our return. He's already anticipating the reconciliation that we're going to experience with him as he woos us back to himself. And he says, come, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. I'm going to wash you with my word. I'm going to bring you into a place of restoration. And so he continues to woo us, not with condemnation, but with loving kindness. When we feel the pinprick of the Holy Spirit, it shouldn't be a heavy hammer on your head. The Spirit comes to say, hey, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You're above that. Don't go there. It's not becoming to you. It's not who you really are. You see, we prostitute ourselves in many ways. We make compromises just to get through life. Life happens and sometimes if we don't stop, if we haven't trained ourselves to master our minds to stop and seek God immediately on things, we start to make compromises. We cheapen ourselves before God. We try to take it up in our own hands. And he's saying, no, no, no. If you come back to me, I can tell you how to navigate through that situation. I'm going to draw you with my kindness. I'm going to draw you and woo you with my tenderness and place you in such a place that you know there are certain concessions you don't have to make because of whose you are. And in whose you are, you find who you are. If I'm engaged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not just any man can talk to me. You see how that works? It says in Jeremiah that he would draw them, he'd love them with an everlasting love, and he would draw them with loving kindness and rebuild them. So even when we stray, we stay on the mind of God. God then goes on in Hosea after he's gone on that rant about all the things he's not going to do for her to saying, I'm going to win her back once again. I'm going to lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Ooh, God is romantic. 
He says, I'm going to return her vineyards to her. And I'm going to transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Oh, yes, there's restoration in the arms of God when we return to him. The Holy Spirit woos us and calls us and says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And as we come back to him, restoration comes with it. He said, she will give herself to me there as she did long ago when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. You see, we've all been to Egypt. We've all been captive to something or someone, a habit, a mindset, or just a state of being. And Jesus has come to free us with his blood. And so we've been released. But every now and then, sometimes we slip back to captivity. We, like the Israelites, begin to prefer onions and leeks over walking towards the promises of God, especially if it's taking too long. He says, when that day comes, you will call me husband instead of my master. See, he's talking about a different intimacy there because a slave can never be intimate with its master, but a wife is intimate with her husband. And he says, I will wipe away the many names of Baal from your lips and you'll never mention them again. I'm going to free you from some things that you thought were attractive. I'm going to free you from things that were your preference that became idols in your life. Amen? He says, I will make you my wife forever, showing you not only my righteousness, but my justice, my unfailing love and compassion. And I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as the Lord. So there's a different dimension of knowing him, of coming into a place of intimacy with him, where he finally becomes Lord once and for all, where he takes his place and it's an immovable place because you know what you know what you know about him, about his love, about his grace, about his mercy, about his capacity to provide for you, his capacity to love you through the places where you slip and make mistakes and doubt yourself, doubt your own worth. He's there saying, you are mine and I am yours forever. The Lord then told Hosea, go and buy your wife back, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. And so Hosea says, so I bought her back. And he paid a high price for her. And I thought to myself, wow, at the time, can you imagine what his friends thought? Man, you a fool. Why are you going to give all of your life savings to buy back a woman who doesn't love you, who doesn't care about you, who's publicly disgraced you by going after lovers, who's publicly shamed you by prostituting herself? And yet that's what God did for us. He bought us back. He snatched us out of the hand grip of hell and death, and he paid a high price. He paid the price of the, of the life of his son. Amen? And so we see that we've been brought back. This whole illustration really is to show that we are the wayward woman from time to time. We flaunt our disobedience. We go, well, God knows my heart. And he goes, well, yes, I do. It's as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so are they. So our intentions can never be separate from our actions. Amen? And so he says, walk this way. But we choose to walk another way and, and claim that we have intentions of doing better. And then we, we've worn perfume that stinks to him. And I call that worship. Amen? 
the fragrance that goes up before God. And that's our lifestyle. Worship is not just a song we sing, as we sang, going back to the heart of worship, but it is a lifestyle. It is our life. We were created for his pleasure. He's seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what does that look like? It means that every decision we make every day is an act of worship, either to God or to the devil. Let that sink in for a moment. If I get upset and I get offended and I cuss somebody out, I just gave the devil a point. But if I can forgive in spite of the offense, I've given God a point. It's an act of worship. Every decision we make in the spirit is an act of worship. Every, spirit, every, every choice we make in the flesh is also an act of worship. So when we see it that way, it should dictate the choices we make, the answers we give, the mindset we have, the actions that we employ. If everything we do is an act of worship, we run after other gods. I mean, sometimes it's career, sometimes it's money. We get caught up in the hustle and bustle of, hey, I got to make ends meet. I've got school fees to pay. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And those things consume us. And we're after them without looking back to ask God how to strategize, how to do things according to his way so that we're blessed. And it feels like such a struggle because we're working it out in the flesh and it's become an idol and he will not share his glory with another. We do things without acknowledging him. But then we turn around and ask him for things. The other day God spoke to me and he said, you know, prayers have become wishes that people expect me to grant. But I don't consider that prayer. God is looking for a greater intimacy, a conversation, an exchange. That is prayer. When Jesus went to pray, it was a conversation with his father. It wasn't him just telling the father what to do or, you know, pushing around the angels and the demons. He was having a conversation. The father was sharing his heart and, and telling him things to expect along the way. Did you ever notice that nothing surprised Jesus? How could that be? Perhaps when he rose early in the morning, the father prepared his heart for the day, for all the things that he would meet, so that when they came into his presence, he goes, oh yeah, that's what daddy was talking about, as opposed to being thrown, as life does happen. The Lord says, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're just religious. Have we ever stopped to consider how God feels when we choose things? over him, over his heart, over his will, over our relationship with him. The text proves that God has emotions, that he's deeply affected by our disobedience. He's deeply affected by when we don't take the time to be intimate with him. You know, I started a new habit at the beginning of this year. I love the YouVersion app. I don't know if you know of it, but if you don't, it's an app on your phone or your iPad. You download that. It's got all the translations of the Bible for free. It's got reading plans. I mean, any topic you want to, dis, um, to do a study on stress, it's got a five-day plan for that. That has become my new thing that just calls me to order because it's so easy to get up in the morning and start running. The race starts and you're off to the races again, oh my. But in the middle of it, my phone says, did you read your Bible today? Even for ministers, we can get off track, right? And so just making things a habit 
And the minute I start reading, it pulls me into a place where I've got to say, wow, God, that's deep. What do you mean when you said that? And the conversation begins. And I find myself enjoying the presence of God, enjoying conversation with him. Um, If you pass by the book table, I have a book out there called He Speaks, I Listen. And it's a devotional I wrote, just that exchange with God that just draws your heart back into that place and keeps the romance going. He created us for his pleasure. And what gives him pleasure is our obedience to him. When he becomes the focus and the center of every decision that we make, and we're motivated by our love for him. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? Jesus told the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Amen? And then Jesus went on to say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And I've told you this so that your joy may be full. Are you struggling with your joy level? Check where you are. Check what your heart's preference is. He goes on to say in 1 John, the one who keeps on sinning hasn't seen him with discernment or known him by intimate experience. Intimate experience. God wants to be intimate with you. You're going to need that intimacy in the days to come. You're battling with Brexit. The world is in a state of upheaval. And if you're not locked into God, you'll begin to hear other voices. You see, your other lovers will be happy to name you and give you the wrong name. Your your lover of finance will say, Your name is broke. The lover of your career will say, your name is failure. And those are not the names that God has given you. And so you've got to be locked into him in an intimate embrace where he reminds you over and over again who you are. Because you see, long before you were ever here, he had you in mind. And he had a plan for your life to make you whole and holy by his love. You see, true love is transforming. True love makes you look like the beloved. So what's the point of this exercise? As I thought about this woman, I said, why, could such a, why would she be such a bad woman to such a good man? A man who's willing to buy her back? Why would she run off with other cheap people where she had to sell herself for food and other things? And the thought that came to me was she didn't know who she was, and she didn't know whose she was. She was broken. She was flawed. She didn't know her value because she didn't have a sense of identity. You know, in our search for identity, and it's not every year, you know, I go somewhere and somebody comes up and says, well, I'm just trying to find myself. And I go, well, you're standing here. Where did you go? I'm confused. But in our search for identity and the things that fulfill us, we have to realize that our identity is hidden in the holiness of God is hidden in his very character. And the only way that we get to look like him is to get to know him. And the more we get to know him, the more we get to find out about ourselves, why he created us, why we are here. In Ephesians, it says that it's only in Christ that we discover who we are and what we're living for. And so intimacy with God is the beginning of finding our identity. The key is deeper intimacy with him. All roads in your life will lead back to God. It's all about you. 
It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. We sing it, but are we living it? He says in uh, Matthew 11, simply join your life with mine and learn of me. The message translation says, are you tired? Anybody tired in the house? Let me see how many hands are tired. Mm-hmm. I'm tired too. Worn out, burned out on religion. And that's going through the motions without the connection. Motions without the emotion. We're just following rules, but they're not attached to anything or anyone. He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You see, we've got this treasure in earthen vessels, the Holy Spirit, who's full of grace. And when we activate that grace and employ that grace in our lives, it gives us the ability to do everything that God has said without effort. Because it's like a dance. You're dancing with him, and you're simply following his lead. And it's musical, and it's fluid, and it's organic, and it releases your joy. It releases your peace. It releases your fulfillment because you're finally one with him. In Hosea 6, God says this in the message translation, I'm after a love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. Once again, he's saying religion is not where I want you to land. I want you to enter into deep relationship. I'd rather for you to know me than to offer sacrifices. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And so this morning, in the month of love, I issue you a love challenge. How deep is your love? How is your love life with God? Does it keep you from ignoring God's heart and the things that he requires? How many other lovers do you have? What is your heart's preference? You know, I have three little Shih Tzu dogs, and I love my dogs. People go, what? You know, in Africa especially. I live in Ghana. And then when they see me coming with my dogs, it's like, really? And I'm like, yes, you know, I love my dogs. You know why? Because they love me. God says, I love those who love me, right? And you know why I know they love me? Because when I go out my door, I'm told that they sit by that door till I get back. They're waiting for my presence. Now, Layla loves food. The minute you put food in her dish, her face disappears. But if I walk out of the room while she's eating, she stops eating to follow me because she prefers my presence over the thing that gives her flesh pleasure. We sang earlier this morning, let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place. Have you told him that lately? As you struggle with the different things that demand your time, your attention, your heart space, your mind space, and you struggle with the different activities as life happens in your world, be careful not to make those distractions your preference over God. If you're in that space this morning and you've just been swept away in the tide of life happening and you realize, as I said this this morning, hmm, some things have really kind of moved God over on his seat or dropped him off the other edge. Now is your time 
to realign yourself this morning, to realign your heart, your mind. Get back in that space of intimacy where you're once again one with him and he's a loving husband protecting you, covering you, providing for you, honoring you, blessing the work of your hands and making your way easier. If it's you this morning and you're saying, God, I'm sorry. There have been some things where my heart has shifted. Forgive me. I want to get back to that place. Allow him to woo you this morning. If that's you and you want to pray with me, just raise your hand right now. Yes, I need a realignment. I've allowed some things to take the place of God from time to time. This isn't a moment to have pride. We've all done it. We're all guilty. I will raise my hand with you because there are those moments where I take my life back into my hands and try to handle it myself. And I fail miserably every time I do it. So if that's you, I see that hand. I see that hand. And I'm sure that there are more. God, I just want to realign my heart and go to a deeper place of intimacy with you this morning. If that's you, stand as the choir sings that. Let all the other names fade away. We'll pray together for reconciliation, for that place of deeper intimacy where the grace of God works even harder in your life. Because you're flowing with him, you're dancing with him, you're moving with him, you're swaying with him. Your ears and your heart and your spirit are open to hear what thus saith the Lord. You're open to follow his direction. There are more of you. There are more of you if you're really, truly honest with yourself. This is a critical time in our lives. No time to play church. No time to be religious. No time to even care what anybody else thinks. You see, when Hosea went to buy Gomer back, he didn't care what his friends had to say. It was all about his love for her. And God loves you deeply and passionately. And he's saying, come. Let go and just let me wrap you in my arms and whisper sweet somethings to you and give you secrets from heaven to navigate through life. Make me your heart's preference and see what I'll do in your life. Last call. All the other names fade away. All the other names fade away. Let all this morning we choose to lay every idol every distraction down at the foot of the cross thank you for the blood that covers us that rents the veil between us and God thank you for claiming us for wooing us for never giving up on us thank you for reconciling us to yourself and as we come this morning asking forgiveness, asking for you to wash us with your word once again and reconcile us back to your place and take us to a greater place of intimacy and devotion. We say, have your way. Have your way. You are our heart's preference, God. We love you, we love you, we love you.
must take your place Let all the other names fade away So just, everyone just stand to your feet now And just talk to God for a moment yourself You know what's going on between the two of you bless your name this morning Lord God let all the distractions of life fall away right now in Jesus name hallelujah come and take your place Lord on the throne of our hearts on the throne of our minds our bodies our hearts our lives reign as only you can reign oh God we lay all other crowns down, all other things that are desires that have exalted themselves against who you are. Take your rightful place, O God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.